Welcome to the Lighthouse Writers Workshop podcast, because sometimes what a writer needs most is other writers, even virtually. Lighthouse was honored to host the celebration party of World Literature Today magazine's release of their May 2015 issue, titled New Hebrew Writing, 15 Voices from Israel and Abroad. Local guest editors Adam Rovner and Jessica Cohen, contributing writer Daniel Oz, and WLT editor-in-chief Daniel Simon read selected stories and poetry from this issue. The program also featured the announcement of the finalists for the 24th Newstat International Prize for Literature. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Andrea Dupree, and I'm the program director here at Lighthouse Writers Workshop. And we're so happy to have you all here and to be welcoming the World Literature Today issue release, the New Hebrew Writing double issue. I'm very excited about this because I never even had my own single issue and now I have my double issue and we have some of the um, talented translators who worked on that issue in this very basement that we're all locked in right now. Also tonight, I'm a little bit giddy about this and hopefully you are too. We are going to hear the finalist announcement for the 2016 Newstat International Prize for Literature. I mean, I think that deserves a round of applause. I mean, it may not be the conclave in Sweden, but it's the closest we've got, right? I mean, this is pretty exciting. So anyway, let's get to the program. We were so thrilled to be involved in this. Um, For those of you who care about literature, I've heard there are thousands of written languages, and I know 2.16 of them and can read directly. And actually, if I'm being honest, it's like 1.67 plus dictionary um, (laughs) these days. Uh, So we rely on translators and people who are working in the world literature community to give us this richness of literature. And to that end, um, I'm delighted to introduce our MC for the evening, Mr. Daniel Simon. He drove up today from Norman, Oklahoma. Good drive. He's here with his three lovely daughters who I wish I could adopt, but I guess they belong to you. Um, Cecilia, Eliana, and Sophia, who are back there, and they're amazing. They're like the smartest people I've ever met. (laughs) Daniel is the editor-in-chief at World Literature Today, the University of Oklahoma's award-winning magazine of international literature and culture. He's also a translator and poet with two verse collections due out in the coming year. Good for you. Um, Please give a warm welcome to Daniel Simon. Wow, that's hard to follow. Uh, Thank you so much, Andrea, and and to your lovely staff here and and Mike and everyone at the Lighthouse for hosting us here this evening. It's, It's really an amazing venue, and we're delighted to be here. Um, As a reciprocal gesture, we've decided to donate half of the proceeds from the sales of WLT this evening back to the Lighthouse. Uh, um, 
as as a uh, as a way of giving back to the local community. So. <clears throat> A little later, I will be joined by two of the issue's guest editors, Adam Rovner and Jessica Cohen, who will talk about the contemporary Hebrew lit scene in Israel and abroad and also do some readings um, as well. And then one of the contributors to the issue, writer Daniel Oz, will join us. uh, and He and I will do a bilingual reading of some poetry together. And thanks again to my daughters for joining me on this trip today. We drove up, we left about 6 o'clock this morning. And drove straight through, and we're doing fine until we hit gridlock on I-70, about <laughs> 10 miles from our exit downtown. And um, so I'm just running on adrenaline now, but I'm, I think I'll, I'll manage before passing out a little bit later. <clears throat> before we launch the issue, however, uh, we're also here to announce the nominees for the 2016 Newstat International Prize for Literature, which is sponsored by World Literature Today. Um, last week, we announced the names of the juries, uh, the jurors who will actually come to Oklahoma, to the university in October. There will be nine writers from around the world who will convene on campus and go through their deliberations. They've all nominated the writers who will be announced tonight, and they go through this process of eliminative voting, whereby by the end, they come down to the final two candidates, and then they choose the winner. So it's a very... Um, it's a very well-respected process that uh, a lot of people really don't know about, but it's a $50,000 prize, and we'll tell you a little bit more about it um, here uh, before the night is through. The um, special guest that we have here is Kathy Newstadt of the Newstadt family, who uh, they are the benefactors for the prize, and it's really uh, an honor for me to introduce her to make the announcement of the candidates. Kathy is a a freelance field producer here in Denver for the ABC Network for the shows Good Morning America, World News Tonight, and Nightline. She has been with ABC for more than 25 years, I believe. Kathy is the past president and current board member of the Robert E. Loop Jewish Community Center and the Mizell Center for Arts and Culture here in Denver. She's on the Jewish Life Committee for Rose Community Foundation and a board member for Facing History and Ourselves, a nationwide curriculum teaching middle and high school students tolerance and how to overcome racial and ethnic discrimination. And she lives here in Denver with her children, Tess and Josh. So please welcome WLT's beloved friend and benefactor, Kathy Newstadt. Hi, everybody. Um, It's great to be here. uh, I've been in Colorado for... I don't know, 35 years now, even though I'm only 35. But, um, but I, you know, I was born and raised in Oklahoma, and my family has a very long history with the university. Um, it goes back decades. My great-grandfather in 1940 uh, was, I grew up about 90 miles from Norman in a small town between Dallas and Oklahoma City, And back in the 1940s, OU wanted to buy about 130 acres of land just outside of Norman. And my great-grandfather and his family helped the university purchase the land. And that today is the Max Westheimer Airfield, where the uh, Severe Weather Center, right? Is that where it is? It's on the Max Westheimer Field. And I've just got to tell you, 
they bought it for $10,000 back in 1940, which was probably a lot of money. But can you imagine 10000 buying you an airport? I mean, it, that, that, that doesn't happen much anymore. And their love for this institution really continued down through the generations. I'm fifth generation, uh, unfortunately, probably the last of Oklahoma since Oklahoma, Colorado, you know. Um, no offense, right? <laughs> Anyway, my grandmother, her name was Doris Neustadt, she loved, she didn't go to OU. She actually, in 1916, from Ardmore, Oklahoma, went to Columbia University in New York, where she met my grandfather, and then, for some reason, he moved from New York down to Ardmore, Oklahoma. But <laughs> anyway, um, she loved OU so much, and we, every Sunday, or every Saturday that Oklahoma football was in Norman, we would come up, and we would tailgate with fried chicken, deviled eggs, and just, she, she was an amazing, articulate, literal, literate, um, elegant woman. And as a present, my, her uh, children donated a wing of the library, the Doris Neustadt wing of the library. And I just wanted to tell you that at the when they did the dedication, they did a tribute, and they said that it was fitting to name it after her because of her love and her appreciation for both the spoken and the written word. So it's fitting that in 1976, the Newstad International Prize for Literature was endowed, and it's become what some coin as the American Nobel because of how many winners, jurors, and candidates have won the Nobel Prize for Literature. It's an amazing award in so many ways, not just because the caliber of the laureates, like, for instance, Gabriel Garcia Marquez has won the prize, Elizabeth Bishop, uh, Rowington Mystery, who wrote A Fine Balance, which is a wonderful novel, and also because of the way that candidates are nominated and how they're chosen and the criteria for that. It's one of the few international prizes for which poets, novelists, and playwrights are equally eligible. So in a nutshell, like Daniel said, the editorial board of WLT picks between eight and ten jurors, and then each juror picks a candidate. And every fall, these jurors from all over the world come to Norman, and they meet on campus to deliberate and to vote. And they also are wonderful with their time because they do seminars, and, and many of the OU students and even, excuse me, some of the high school students from um, around Oklahoma and Colorado even have come and, and listened to the speakers uh, and do some seminars. But the voting is done with something called a positive elimination. So they talk about each of their candidates and then they're asked to vote out of 10 candidates to vote for their top nine and then to vote for their top eight. And then it just it's a very positive way of of picking the winner and it goes like this until it's down to two and then the winner's picked and it's an amazing process everyone buys in and is so happy and invested in their choice so tonight I'm going to announce the finalists for the 2016 Newstat International Prize for Literature it'll be announced in uh, October 23rd I believe at the banquet at the university um, and um, uh, and all these jurors will be on campus. And then the following year, the winner will come and receive their prize, which in addition to the money is a beautiful silver feather, which is um, 
it's it's housed in a piece of wood from an Oklahoma native tree that's been carved and and it's a symbol of the quill the writing quill and and uh, also um, the Native American culture in Oklahoma. So if I can pronounce these names, because they don't roll right off your tongue, um, in alphabetical order, they are Kan Shui of China for fiction, Carol Churchill of the United Kingdom for drama playwright, Carolyn Forche of the United States for poetry and literary translation, Aminata, Aminata, um, for, Forna of Scotland and Sierra Leone for fiction, Anna Marie MacDonald of Canada for fiction and drama playwright, uh, Guadalupe Nettle of Mexico for fiction, Don Patterson of Scotland for poetry and drama playwright, uh, Dubrovka. Ugeshits of Croatia and the Netherlands for fiction and essay writing, and Hassan Zoktan of Palestine for poetry, fiction, and drama playwright. And I just want to say what's notable this year is that for the first time ever, we have more women finalists than men. <laughs> and that really is a reflection of the incredible power that women's voices are making across the world today from the USA to China and everywhere in between. So thank you all very much. It's great to be here. Okay, that's going out live on Twitter and Facebook and on the Newstat Festival website, the newstatprize.org website. So you actually are the first ones to hear the nominations of these finalists, but it's also going out worldwide as we speak. And and think of it, translators as well as novelists, playwrights, and poets being nominated for this prize. It's really phenomenal Phenomenal that someone like Carolyn Forche, I think, and Don Patterson, who are very well respected as translators as well as writers in their own right, are eligible for this prize. And uh, it's always, we never, there's always this excitement associated with the jury's presence on campus. Not only are they voting for the winner, but they're reading from their own work. We buy copies of their, their books for students from the local high schools or middle schools even and for the college students at OU to read their works in advance so they get to come to campus. We'll have an auditorium full of students who have read the work of these writers uh, ahead of time and they'll be absolutely engaged and uh, eager to answer, ask questions of the writers and really it's a wonderful, wonderful tradition. So I hope you can all come to Norman, if not in October, some year to experience the new stat tradition. Before we turn to the readings, I'd like to uh, extend a special thanks to the University of Denver's Center for Judaic Studies, the English Department, and the Center for Multicultural Excellence for helping to sponsor the visit of writer Daniel Oz, who is here with us this evening from Tel Aviv by, by way of New York City. Um, my personal thanks as well to Dr. Sarah Pesson, the director of DU's Center for Judaic Studies, and Dr. Noam Stillman, director of the University of Oklahoma's Center for Judaic and Israel, Israel Studies for providing generous grants and support of publication of our May issue. And thanks also to Lauren Simpson and the Cone Group here in Denver for helping us put together our event this evening, especially at the last minute with a liquor run, to get some wine, <clears throat> some wine and beer. And 
Thanks as well to my colleagues at WLT, Dr. R.C. Davis-Sundiano is our executive director, and my wonderful uh, colleagues who are on the editorial team and the design and marketing team and digital media at WLT. They do an incredible job. So my thanks to them. Without further ado, uh, it's my great pleasure to introduce to you first one of the guest editors for the May issue who curated the selection of 15 Israeli uh, Hebrew writers from Israel and abroad that appear um, in this special double issue, and it's really a brilliant selection. His uh, name is Adam Romner. He teaches here at the University of Denver and is an associate professor of English and Jewish literature. His articles, essays, translations, and interviews have appeared in numerous scholarly journals and general interest publications. His narrative history of the territorialist movement in the shadow of Zion Promised Lands Before Israel, was published by NYU Press in 2014. So Adam will come and talk to you a little bit about the contemporary lit scene in Israel and abroad, and then we'll proceed to some reading. So please welcome Dr. Adam Rovner. Thank you all for coming. This is very exciting. Thank you, Daniel. And of course, thanks to Kathy Neustadt for really supporting culture, supporting literature. I think that's wonderful. Um, I want to give you a little bit of an overview of Hebrew literature. So not a lot of people know a lot about Hebrew literature. First of all, Hebrew is an ancient language. It's the language of the Hebrew Bible. That's why it's called the Hebrew Bible. And, uh, and so it's really – it has an ancient roots, but as a modern language, as a literary language, it really starts in the late 19th century. And at that time, those who wrote in Hebrew were really writing for each other because no one really spoke it. It wasn't an alive, living language. People could speak it, but they didn't speak it. So in about 130, 140 years, Hebrew emerged from a kind of marginal, intellectual exercise in nation-building to really a global international language. And the issue that we've put together, I've put together with my co-editor, Jessica Cohen, and my co-editor who could not be here tonight, uh, Adriana Jacobs, who did the poetry, what we did was try to curate a series of work that showed the breadth of Hebrew literature, its international scope. So we have writers not only from Israel itself, but writers from, who write in Hebrew from America. Not only Jewish Israelis, but writers who are Muslim who write in – or Palestinian Israeli who write in, in Hebrew as well. And I think that's very important to note its, its breadth and, and again, its uh, depth. Many people are familiar with some of the most important uh, Hebrew writers today – Amos Oz, David Grossman, Aleph Bet Yoshua. Those are the most well-known writers. Perhaps I can throw in Edgar Carrot, who has uh, quite a lot of cachet. In terms of poetry, most people perhaps know Yehuda Amichai. But other than that, Hebrew literature hasn't gotten a lot of play. And those writers who I've just mentioned are important and significant and wonderful writers themselves. And they often get a great deal of... Uh, purchase in the Western world, in the English-speaking world, because they deal with the soul of Israel. They try to deal with a political situation. Now, what we did, uh, Jessica and I and Adriana, is we tried to curate work that dealt with the soul of Israel, but maybe not directly. It may not be the most political of work, although there are political elements to what we've chosen. We tried to, and this is the kind of phrase that I used in our introduction to the issue, we tried to pick work that 
performs the heresy of the normal. In other words, it tries to normalize Hebrew literature on an international stage, a literature in which one can express oneself in any number of ways, not just the political. Of course, there are the political in this issue, and some of it is critical. But I think that self-reflection, self-criticism is a sign of maturity, whether it's from a state or from an individual. Now, whatever one's politics are, whatever one's particular take on things are, because of course we know that Israel uh, is, a, is a site of a great deal of, of uh, dissension, a, a place that is mostly in the news for bad things. The literature we've chosen, I think, tries to show a different side, a side of normalcy and a side of active discourse. Literature, above all, whether it's in Hebrew or any language, does things. So I wanted to draw here on the words of a very great Hebrew writer, an Israeli writer, uh, David Grossman. He talks about what literature does. What literature does, according to him, I'm paraphrasing, he draws, literature draws us away from mass language, from the language of the media, from the language of the easy idiom, from the language of cliché, from the language of uh, soap operas and and our sort of uh, quotidian everyday existence. And it makes us think of an individual voice that we hear. It makes us see more and think more and feel more. It expands our vision of the possible. And that's what I think literature does when it does its job. Uh, Translation also performs an important function here because what translation does is it makes available to us, it creates a channel for us to hear those voices of individuality, those voices of thinking better, thinking more, feeling more, and seeing more. Uh, It channels those voices to us in another language, and it does so on a world stage, on an expansive stage. And certainly what World Literature Today as a publication does is dedicated to that goal through its use of uh, through its publication of work of tremendous value in mostly in translation. Much of the literature, if we think about it, that we know, the literature that we love, comes to us through translators. So we really are getting it through some medium. We're, we're getting it through a veil of some sorts. And this makes me think of the great words of the important Israeli poet, sometimes considered the the Israeli or Hebrew national poet, uh, Chaim Nachman Bialik, who said that reading poetry in translation is like kissing a woman through a veil. It's a famous phrase. And then the uh, more modern uh, and recently deceased uh, Hebrew poet, Israeli poet Yehuda Amichai, who's, who's quite well known, he updated Bialik's verse and he said, okay, that's fine, but kissing a woman through a veil isn't so bad. So if you can... <laughs> If you can only access the translation, if you can only kiss the woman that way, uh, I think that's okay. And I love that description because it is, literature is about love. It is about passion. It is, in some ways, it's even, there's an, an eroticism, especially of, of, uh, of form. People love holding that book in their hand. I know we're now uh, transferring to the digital, but still, you know, people are holdouts for paper. I think it's not such a bad description of that passion and that consuming relationship that we have with literature. And after all, that's why we're here, most of you. Some of you are here because you're my students and I made you come. But <laughs> most of you are here because you have a passionate relationship with literature. And 
and those people who are involved in its publication and its editing and its translating. There are other translators and authors here tonight that that I know beyond those who who uh, worked on this issue, like my wife and I, or like Daniel, whose uh, whose work is published here, um, are present. And so we thank you for coming, and we thank you for listening, and and at least uh, uh, considering what we what we all have to say. So so thank you very much. And now I get to introduce uh, two of the people who were involved in this issue. And the first is a noted translator of Hebrew literature who's translated works by Edgar Carrot, by David Grossman most notably, and who insisted that I not lay it on too thick because she's also my wife. And that is uh, Jessica Cohen, who will come up and read poetry, and also uh, Daniel Oz, who is a poet and an author. His new collection, I have it here. Here's his new book, Hot Off the Presses in Hebrew, and it's, it's wonderful because it also has pictures. He publishes here, uh, I love pictures in books, Flash Fables, and they will read a few. Uh, Daniel Oz is an accomplished writer, and he's told me today that he's going to be uh, soon traveling to Genoa, is that correct, for an international poetry festival. Uh, his work is remarkable for its use of language, and I believe, at least, that the translation is remarkable for its attempt to render that in English. So please welcome Jessica and Daniel. This issue features nine of the, as we're calling them, flash fables that Daniel has written. Um, I have translated the whole collection, which is 86 of these very short pieces. And uh, there are nine of them in here, and we are going to read four, I think we decided? Yeah. Four. So um, I know many of you don't speak Hebrew, but we thought it would be nice for you to hear the original. Um, And they are brief. So Daniel's going to read the original, and then I'll read the translation, and we'll do four of them that way. המתכנת המתכנת גמר עומר לפתח תוכנה שתאהב אותו, ועשה זאת למפעל חייו. למין יומו הראשון של הפרויקט, כבר ידעה התוכנה לפלוט את שרשרת התווים, אני אוהבת אותך, אבל רק משום שזו הוזנה לה. מטרתו הייתה לגרום לה באמת להתכוון לכך. מלגת מחקר אפשרה למתכנת להקדיש את כל שעות ערותו לשכתוב ושכלול התוכנה. בחלוף שנים רבות, בשעת בן ארבעים, אמרה היא לו, אני אוהבת אותך, והוא הוסיף לתכנתה. אף על פי שבפעם ההיא נבעו המילים מעומקי נשמתה. The programmer. The programmer resolved to develop a piece of software that would love him, and he made it his life's work. After one day of programming, the program could emit a series of notes sounding the words, "I love you," but only because that is how he coded her. His goal was to make her really mean it. A research grant enabled the programmer to devote all his waking hours to rewriting and refining the program. After many years, one day at twilight, she told him, "I love you." He kept on programming, even though the words had come from the depths of her soul. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you. Sukkat Ha'even. Betzel Sukkat Even. Nifgeshu ish yachef utchol turban im ish na'ul vetrog tarbush. Amar tchol ha'turban. Avakesh etechabed dati vetashil na'alecha. Amar trog ha'tarbush. Ana kabed masorti ve'al tifne laik shata yachef. Na'al tchol ha'turban. את הנעליים שהשיל טרוג התרבוש. אחר כך ירדו יחדיו אל חוף הים לאורך שדרת אילנות. אמר האחד, אלוהי שלה את השמש ממצולות הים. אמר חברו, נהפוך הוא. אלוהי סחט את השמש עד אשר ניגר ממנה הים. פנו אל החמה בבקשה שתחרוש, שתחרוץ משפט, אבל היא הסמיקה במבוכה. The Stone Shelter. In the shade of a stone shelter, a barefoot man in a cerulean turban met a shodden man in a citrine tarbush. Said he of the cerulean turban, In deference to my religion, kindly remove your shoes. Said he of the citrine tarbush, In deference to my tradition, please do not address me barefoot. He of the cerulean turban put on the shoes removed by he of the citrine tarbush. They then walked together down to the beach along a tree-lined boulevard. Said the one, My God pulled the sun out of the depths of the sea. Said the other, On the contrary, my God wrung the sun until water dripped out. They asked the sun to pronounce judgment, but it blushed and silently retreated behind the waves. המשורר. הנידונים עמדו בתור לקרדום, וראשיהם עטופים בשקי יוטה שחומים. ריחם העז של הבד וזיעתם שימש בערבוביה. קרוב לפרקי ידיהם, חבל גס הודק עד התק הדם מחפיהם. מהקהל השקיף משורר, ובפנקסו דימה את ימיו לנידונים. The poet. The convicts stood in line for the axe, with their heads under dark burlap sacks. The sharp scent of the fabric and their sweat mingled. Crude ropes were tightened around their wrists so that the blood was cut off from their hands. A poet in the crowd looked on, and in his notebook he likened his days to the inmates, And his nights to the blade of the axe. מתחת לכל שכבה של הפרי, שכבה נוספת, והנערה מוסיפה לקלפו עד בלי די. מכל העולים בדרך זו, מבקש אני שלא יבריחו את הטרסים. Further up the path. Further up the path I saw colorless peacocks. Further up the path from there, 
I saw a girl with teeth like coals, peeling a strange fruit. Each layer of the fruit reveals another layer, and the girl continues to peel it endlessly. I ask every person who walks up this path not to scare away the peacocks. Wow. Um, Fables. That reminds me of Kafka's, some of his famous fables that some of you may know, but uh, The Pit of Babel and and some of the others. There's kind of a grim view of of the fate of poets there. But um, (laughs) we'll actually read a few poems, Daniel and I, together. He's uh, generously agreed to help us uh, with the bilingual, um, the Hebrew versions of three of the poets who are featured in the issue, very short versions uh, but I hope those fictions find a, a publisher soon. That those are really remarkable uh, 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 works. So I, I hope you get a chance to read a few more in, in the issue, but um, hopefully a publisher will, will pick those up soon and, and bring them out. After the, the grim poetry, we'll read, uh, Daniel and Jessica and I will read a uh, kind of a satire, which is more of a fun piece to wrap up our evening here. So Daniel, if you'll join me back for the poetry. <clears throat> The first poet featured in the issue is Jakob Biton. Can everybody hear? Is that okay? Okay. Um, Jakob Biton. He was born in 1974, and he's the recipient of the 2007 Ministry of Culture Prize for Emerging Poets and the 2008 Teva Prize for Poetry. He's published two poetry collections from which these selections have been translated by Josefa Raz and Shaul Setter. The first one is called Our Father... Abraham in 67. Shells were still falling in his covenant. The suns are cut up again, here and there. This blood pact should have been drawn with the remnant, and now the remnant has become the life portion the suns are cutting again. On tracks of brimstone and fire, everyone has been bound. Pillars of salt in Sodom, live more than we do. In our cities of labor and piss, Tel Aviv, Haifa, and Jerusalem. Avraham Avinu in 1967. In his brother, there were already fallen pagazims. The children were again משארית, ועכשיו השארית הפכה מנת כל החיים. הבנים חותכים שוב על מסלולי גופרית ואש, נעקדו כולם, נציבי מלח בסדום חיים יותר מאיתנו, בערי המשתנות והמסכנות שלנו, תל אביב, חיפה וירושלים. Two very short poems also by Biton from his collection called The Notebooks of Failure. I wanted to stay with my father at his house, bounded by his books, by the dark welding tools, seeing the ram's horns feverish in his heavy coat. But I was propelled by thirst into the cold of night, and I set the fire on my own, forced to set this fire strange 
the strange fire the man I was offered up in me with any of his would-be messengers. רציתי להישאר עם אבי בביתו, מכותר בספריו, בכלי הריתוך השחורים, מביט על קרני האייל, קודח במעילו הכבד, אך נעדפתי מכוח הצמאון אל כפור הלילה. וכבר הבערתי בעצמי את האש, נאלצתי להבעיר את האש הזאת, הזרה, האש הזרה, נזבח בתוכי האדם שהייתי, ומי משליחיו שעתיד להיות. And we were wandering in circles, looking for the way out, still praising the fruit, but the back is brought low with the loot and riches and glory. Umaim lo gurashnu, ve'anu nodedim b'magalim, mechapsim et petach ha'itzi'ah, mehalelim od et ha'pri, ach ha'gev korea min ha'biza'ah, umin ha'hon. kissing through a veil right that's, that's there's passion there's eroticism in that even I would say our second bilingual reading is by the poet Sar Yahin who was born in 1980 so many of these writers are very young that are featured in the issue in their 30s and 40s Yahin has published three books of poetry and has had poems appear in Haaretz, Hava Lehaba, and other publications. And this one is translated by Alexandra Zelman Doring. It's a short post poem, untitled. Something silent, something to hush, that's all. Something to cut through the vocal cords of each and every. Mute and as murder, mute as word, like a dish of slaughtered tongue, a full stop to smother the hum from Aleph to Omega, a handkerchief to soak up the affliction, an unresisting link to break for the lot to fall back into the null hole that spurt you, you something, son of a something, shut up something. משהו שישתיק, משהו שישתוק וזהו, משהו שיחתוך את מתרי הקול של הקול. אולם כמו רצח, אילם כמו מילה, כמו מגש עליו לשון שחוטה למאכל. נקודה אחרונה שתחנוק הרחש מא' עד אומגה, ממחתה שתספוג ותכרות הנגע, חוליה חלשה שתתפרק ללא התנגדות. וישוב הכל אל האחדות האפוסה שממנה הגחת, יא משהו בן משהו, שתוק משהו. Regrettably, I do not have the, the Hebrew of Meital Nadler, so you'll have to do the next one without me, but... Uh... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. The last poem by Meital Nadler, Uh, I was born in 1979. 
She is the recipient of the 2014 Teva Prize in Poetry and the 2008 Ministry of Culture Award for Emerging Poets. Her debut collection, her debut collection Experiments in Electricity, was published last year. She's a doctoral candidate in Hebrew literature at Ben-Gurion University and a research fellow at the Israel Democracy Institute. This poem is called X Days After the Amnesia Epidemic. <laughs> we set out on this road knowing we would discover nothing amazing. We didn't expect to find a new route to Mercury. We didn't imagine we would, do- we would solve the problems of quantums. We sought no new philosophical truths. We set out with our backs to all we had believed in. Outside, there were rumors circulating that certain words had begun to disappear from the dictionary, but no one could remember which words. We grew suspicious of every type of history. Slowly, the sun became cold. Something in us withdrew, but we knew. We were safe. Sometimes when the wind covered our eyes, we were tempted to believe strange rumors. Some said that God had appeared in the robes of a crazed hangman, commanding everyone to hop on one foot. Others told how they had heard people speaking of the ability to breathe underwater, but only when the air is clear. It didn't help us at all. We knew our geography is different. In the meanwhile, Our flesh ripened from upon us. More and more, we heard ourselves speaking in the plural. We banded together. Believing only thus we could support each other, we froze in the posture of doubt. I've got Kafka on the brain that reminds me of this quote, there's an infinite amount of hope, but not for us. So, after the Grimm Poets, we'll read a satire, which is a little lighter in vain, actually mocks literary gatherings. So, I'll ask Adam and Jessica to join me here for an adaptation of this story by, I'll say Roy Chen. It's not Roy Chen. Chen. It's called Mosquito. Speaking of Kafka, you might recognize the allusion here to a story that was published about 100 years ago about a certain person named Gregor Samsa. Okay, okay. To introduce the writer, Chen is an author, translator, playwright, and director of dramaturgy, dramaturgy at Tel Aviv's Gesher Theater. He has published a novel, The Ink House, The Ink Horses, <clears throat> sorry, it's late, and a collection of short stories called Tel Aviv Tales, his works have been translated into English, Russian, Ukrainian, and Yiddish. Tel Aviv's vibrant and famous, famously incestuous literary scene sets the stage for metamorphosis in this acerbic and finely observed story. One of a dozen contemporary fables from the author's 2011 collection, Tel Aviv Tales, the playful metafiction of Mosquito, translated here by Jessica Cohen, will be familiar to any reader who has attended a literary evening and found himself consumed by loathing for self and others. So I should clarify that this this story is written in the first person, but we've adapted it for the stage, this stage. (laughs) Okay. Um, I will be playing the role of Katya. 
that scarf is ridiculous. It's boiling out. It's a light summer scarf. It's silk. You look like a poet, not an author. Oh, God, I am so not in the mood for this thing. We can leave after you do your reading. White Knight was the latest Tel Aviv contrivance. There were no raised strawbridges and no aurora borealis, but people strolled down the boulevard. There was jazz until dawn, galleries open late, films on the beach, lighted bike paths, little bowls of malabi with pistachios, and chilled white wine. This year was the city's centenary, and there were masses of people on the streets. Jacob, Jacob? Jacob. Jacob suggested... Jacob suggested to Katya that they climb aboard one of the traditional, one of the nautical Bauhaus buildings and sail away wherever the wind took them. But she licked her finger, stuck it up in the air, and announced, There's no wind tonight. I'm starving. Because you don't eat. Tel Aviv grinned like a little girl with tooth decay <laughs> while she puffed on a pipe held in the corner of her mouth. Cars honked, ice cream dribbled, dogs peed on sycamore trees, city flags flew atop balconies, fireworks were launched into the sky from the beach, lighting up all the air conditioners, antennas, and solar water heaters that clung to the buildings like leeches. Stop it. Enough sighing. In the end, we'll miss this city. (sighs) When When is the end? After the war. Dead people don't miss things. I won't die. I'll live in the diaspora and sell all kinds of schmatas, souvenirs from the secular Zion, remnants of the city that rose from sand and to sand returned. Oh, how good it will be to wallow in nostalgia for this place. After they obliterate it, Tel Aviv will be the most beautiful free place on earth. Spoken like a true patriot. I'll trade everything. Bus tickets from the number five, moldy issues of City Mouse, seashells, Peace Now leaflets, Bruslev Hasidic pamphlets, bags of Turkish coffee, packs of noblesse cigarettes. High pendants will take on a whole new sentimental meaning. Flip-flops will be a big hit. The exiles will wear them and hold their feet out like they do under the faucets when you come off the beach. People will pay a fortune for personal letters, bazooka comics, even slats from broken window blinds. You are so goddamn right for me with all your verbal waterfalls. Then marry me. (laughs) Then marry me already, you idiot. I'm afraid of drowning. You're full of shit. (laughs) Katya and Jacob walked down the bustling street. Look, that couple over there, Rami and Noah. She looks more like a hadas to me from a liberal but traditional family. And he's secular with born-again leanings. Exactly. Rami and Adas. They met at the alternative Holocaust Remembrance Day ceremony, and that night they talked until dawn and had an out-of-body experience. Halfway through prayers on the Shavuot study night at the Kabbalah Center, she told him she was pregnant. Did Rami cry? All night long. Hadass thought it was from excitement, but he was thinking about the girl from New Zealand he met in Varanasi on his post-army trip. (laughs) The next day, he sent Hadass flowers. Sunflowers. And Googled underwater birth with dolphins. (laughs) What do they like to read? Poetry, mostly their own. What about prose? Eh. Not even short stories? Rami and Hadass faded into the distance when Jacob and Katya turned onto the cafe bookstore lane. Then the black-clad intellectuals came into view, noses first. 
What's up, La Fontaine? In the mood for a caperina? The organizer called out. I'm in the mood to drop dead. Don't start. They sat down under the Yiddish bookshelf. A poet who was considering promising, who was considered promising until he failed to deliver, chided Jacob. This is where you sit, you Ashkenazi wannabe. When are you going to understand that white poetry belongs to the blacks? We Mizrahis must not cloak ourselves in the mantle of European rhyme and meter. I'm not a poet. Then what are you? Trying to be an author. Good prose is always poetry. A young poet stood up. Hello, attention. I'm going to poetize the hell out of you. It was his debut performance, and Jacob remembered his favorite Moroccan saying. The first time he wore the trousers, he shat in them. (laughs) They got up to read, one after the other. A woman poet rhymed bloodier with bloody her. I actually like her. So go make a baby with her. What's the matter with you? You're as white as a coconut. I feel sick. Because you won't eat. They're giving out free malabi and sodas over there. I can't. All this urban buzz and festive sludge was getting under Jacob's fingernails, verse after verse. A well-known editor stopped at their table on his way to the bathroom and skewered him with a look that said, You know, your girlfriend looks like a muse, so how come you don't look like a writer? On his way back, he put his damp hand on Jacob's shoulder and opined, I'm telling you, even if they paid me, only Tel Aviv. New York, not New York, not Amsterdam, not Paris. What about Petersburg, Warsaw, Casablanca? When the readings were over, they all sat around a table. Jacob's summer scarf was drenched in sweat, and his glasses misted over. Katya puffed up her almost translucent cheeks and blew on him, Then she spread his lips into a smile with her fingers. Everyone gossiped, grumbled, and interrupted one another. No one flirted with the waitress. People pulled books off the shelves and corroborated claims. They chain-smoked and asked to change the music to anything that didn't have words. Their ears were fried from all the text. Katya held her martini bianco up to Jacob's nose. The organizer attacked him. Why didn't you get up to read? Didn't I? Apparently not. I I missed my turn. They talked about psychological realism in Hebrew literature. I tried to read Dostoevsky. It's irrelevant to me, someone explained. That's okay. You're irrelevant to him, too, (laughs) came the response. He doesn't read blogs. I want literature where the characters talk like real people. And I want them to talk like bats. I know you a little bit, my friend, and I'm here to say that the days of Gogol, Bashevis Singer, and all the Gentile and Jewish demons are over. I'm not getting angry because I know that a dim-witted dibbuk is speaking through your lips. Our problem is that someone like you writes well, but it's all made up. It's not one. It's not me. I mean, where am I in all this? You're not there. Exactly. And what's with the mosquito story? I mean, I understand the moral. There is no moral. Don't play dumb. The mosquito is supposedly a writer who sucks out plots from the people around him. Not necessarily. Anyway, male mosquitoes live on nectar. It's the females who suck blood. 
Scientific evasion, a translator, and square-framed glasses, said dubiously. A woman at a side table spoke into her phone in monosyllables. Someone pulled out a piece of paper and decided we should all write a poem together, choosing the rhymes first. A bald young man suggested relocating to a different cafe where, he was told, everything was happening. A young actor turned up late and said he'd been out looking for a bus displaying the advertisement he appeared in. A drunk poetess vomited Malabi and soda. Gross, move away, not on the books. Never mind, it's the classic shelf. Much laughter. Excuse me. Don't do it. You're overreacting. Don't leave. I'll be right back. Jacob walked quickly past a rack of postcards dripping with the nectar of self-satisfied advertisers and stepped into the pale orange light of a bathroom stall thick with the syrupy smell of citrus air freshener. The black night was visible through the window bars. No human body could fit through them. The noise outside the stall grew louder. Someone knocked feebly, then banged like only Katya can. Jacob covered his ears with his hands. It took him some time to find the right note. Eventually the noise stopped, leaving only his own hum echoing through his head. He turned into a mosquito. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Jessica and Daniel, for helping out with the readings from our selections this evening. I think that's it. Is that right? As far as selections from the issue, the Newstat Prize finalist announcement, I'm wore out. I hope you all will uh, go back and pick up a copy of the issue um, and enjoy more of the amazing uh, Hebrew writers that are featured, young writers, really cutting-edge work that Adam and Jessica and Adriana have put together and so brilliantly. And thank you all for coming. Thanks again to The Lighthouse for sponsoring us. And we hope to see you around. And I hope to be back in Denver very soon. Thank you very much. Lighthouse would like to thank the following generous donors that make events like this possible. The Scientific, Cultural, and Facilities District, the National Endowment for the Arts and Artworks, Colorado Creative Industries, Denver Arts and Venues, and many others. For more information about Lighthouse Writers Workshop, please go to lighthousewriters.org.